Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey everyone, Battleship Week is coming to a close and we hope that you've taken some key insights from highly decorated, battle-tested military leaders. However, before we wrap, we have two great leaders sharing their keynotes with us about placing the mission first, never accepting defeat, never quitting, or leaving anyone behind, and why it's important to take care of ourselves to become better leaders. We'll also learn what the acronyms like IGYB and BLUF really mean. Today, we have Dr. Gary McGrath, CEO of Stratarius and U.S. Army veteran. Also joining us is Bob Pazzini, CEO of I-5 Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving and retired EOD officer, U.S. Navy. Welcome, gentlemen, to All Business. Here's Dr. Gary McGrath, CEO of Stratarius and a U.S. Army veteran. Thanks so much, Captain. Take it over. Thank you, Jeff. I, Gary Edward McGrath, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That oath of office to a commissioned officer is exactly the same thing that the President of the United States takes and an E-1 takes when they enlist in any one of the militaries. We are here with the mission to defend, support, and to swear to the support of that Constitution. When I go around and give speeches about this, I ask the question, what are we taking an oath to? You'd be surprised at the number of people that don't know. Secondly, one of the things that Jeff just talked about were the four warriors ethos statements. I will always place the mission first. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. And I will never leave a fallen comrade. These are the Army Warriors ethos, and those equal our culture. You see, every organization needs to really know what its mission and what the values are in order to be able to guide our behaviors every day and work in progress towards the mission in the long run. Without those, we often lose our daily work in the uh, morass of activity, and we don't want to confuse accomplishment and activity. What about your organization? What is your ethos? What's your culture? What do you stand for? Are you creating an intentional culture based on your mission and your statements of ethos? Or is it just being created by osmosis and hope? When I think about ethos, I go back and think at the beginning about my family, because I have a family that was founded in the military. My father was the first to join the military in 1946, and he served for 24 years. I also have four brothers and a son that accumulated 108 years of service collectively from 1946 to 2009. Interestingly enough, my mom was born on Veterans Day, November 11th. I don't think that's a coincidence that all her sons and her grandsons served in the military. But when I think about my family, I start with my older brother, John. You see, John was the one that served the longest. He went into the Navy in 1968 and went in as a Navy diver. He, tour he toured Vietnam, and I don't mean as, as a visitor, for two, uh, um, two tours. 
And my brother learned a lot in those first four years about character and leadership. And then he decided to make something of it. He was promoted to E8 senior chief and ensign on the same day. He became a limited duty officer. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's one of the most difficult situations to be able to be promoted in. My brother, about six years ago, unfortunately, had a tragedy. His wife succumbed to cancer. And I called him up a couple of weeks after the funeral and I said, John, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to stick around this house. I'm going to sell it, get rid of all the stuff. I'm going to load up my RV and I'm Jimmy and I, his dog, are going to drive around the United States for the next few years. I said, John, that's, that's great. I think it's good that you're getting out of the house. How about another option? Why don't you come to Raleigh and come to work with me and my company? I could really use your help. See, the problem is, is that my company is growing and I need somebody to be my XO. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's like a COO. It's the guy that takes care of a lot of the details and the operations. And I needed that help from him. And he decided to come and help. And it's been six years now and it's been awesome. Well, one day after we started this adventure, I was hurrying to the airport. I jumped in my car, got my luggage, grabbed my computer and off I went. I was a little late, which happens a lot. And I finally got to the airport about 25 or 30 minutes before the plane was leaving. So I was good. I took a deep breath. I sat down. <sighs> Great. And it hit me. I had left wet clothes in the washing machine. <laughs> so I texted John. Hey, John, could you please put the clothes in the dryer? When I landed in Fort Lauderdale, I can remember the text. I opened up my phone. And it simply said, IGYB, IGYB. Well, you know, I've been texting for a while and I know LOL and I know OMG and some others I won't mention, but I didn't know IGYB. So I texted him back, IGYB question mark. And he said, I've got your back. I'll always have your back. Well, I hadn't heard IGYB up to that point, but I, I started thinking back about my childhood and realized that we've been living this in this military family from the beginning. Here's a picture of my brothers, the five of us, and our little brother, Dan, when he was born. I was about 10 years old at this time. Dan, by the way, served for 24 years and was a Navy chief. Well, at nine years old, just about a year before this picture was taken, my family decided to go on a European trip. And my parents, being the adventurers that we are, we were living in Scotland. We drove to London. We took the ferry across into the Netherlands. And then we went to Belgium and Germany and France. And we just had a great vacation. And we did it from campsite to campsite because we didn't have a lot of money. Well, dad being the naval officer that he was, they had all this planned out. They bought a VW bus, you know, the Volkswagen bus, the first minivan. They took the seat out of the middle. They put all the tent and the clothes and the food and everything into there and, and had the four of us sitting on that bench seat in the back, you know, shoulder to the shoulder, the four of us. When we would hit a campsite, we had a job. First of all, we got everything out of the VW bus. We got it on the ground and erected the tent. It was my job to go in the tent with the sleeping bags. I had to blow up the air mattresses. 
I had the smallest lungs in the group and they made me do this. I can remember within about two minutes, I was hyperventilating. I'm laying on the floor trying to finish my job. And I kept trying harder and harder to finish my job and I could never finish it before my brothers would interrupt me and help me. So one day I went to dad and I said, dad, I can, I can finish this job. You know, I was a little competitive. I wanted to get the job done. Six air mattresses, six of us, and I wanted to finish it. And he just looked at me and he said, Gary, I don't expect you to finish that job. That's probably the hardest job that we all have. And that's why I send your brothers in to help you. Because you see, we're not done until you're done. So we're going to help you whenever we can. And that morphed into a lot of other things as I thought about this idea of IGYB. Because I can remember my father standing, we'd be standing in the backyard doing some work and somebody would be standing and dad would say, go help your brother or go help your mother. He might give us a little pat on the head when he did it, if you understand what I mean. But he meant don't ever sit around and wait for somebody else to do work. If there's work to be done, help out. Pay attention to who needs help and keep providing that help. I learned IGYB through my dad and through my brother. What about your organization? Does your organization support each other in all the work that they do? IGYB, is it going through the organization? And if you want another example, I was thinking about this. And if you've ever watched a football game, and most of us have, and somebody fumbles the ball, what happens? Everybody dives on it. Why do they dive on it? Because the goal is to win the game. The mission is to win the championship. And those little acts of teamwork is what creates the, the success in the long run in the big mission. But it has to happen with good training and leadership, and it needs to be automatic. We have to set expectations like what we have in our ethos in the United States Army. No comrade left behind. But what I've seen in some cases is when the third fumble happens. Have you ever seen this on a football field when the running back fumbles the ball for the third time and what happens? Have you ever seen it? They all step back. I'm not picking that up. That's the third time today. What do you, you, you need to hold on to the ball. No, because that's counter to the mission. It's counter to the goal of winning the game. And yet I see this every day in businesses. When somebody messes something up for the second or third time during the week, hey, why can't you get your job done? You're affecting me. Get your job done. I'm not picking that fumble up. You're supposed to do it. It's not my job. Really? Is that the kind of culture we want to live in? I don't think so. There's a better way. I got to experience this firsthand when I was hired here in Raleigh, North Carolina to take over a sales team, I was the vice president of sales for a technology company. After two weeks of interviewing the individuals, I realized that we were in deep trouble. They had lost 33% revenue over the four years before I got there. They had fired three people before me. That concerned me. And when I look at their other results that they had, they were a failing team. So at the end of the second week, I had an all hands meeting. I called everybody in from all over the state and I said, be there on Friday morning. We need to talk. Some of these people had not even met me yet. They walked in the door. We sat in the conference room. I introduced myself and I walked up to the board and I wrote head coach, head coach. This is my new title. I took away vice president, 
I took away sales and I just said head coach. What does a head coach do? A head coach helps us win. A head coach supports us. A head coach sometimes kicks us in the butt and helps us get back on track. A head coach is there to make sure that the individuals and the teams win. So I asked them, what's been going on for the last three years? What are the excuses? What? And I heard them all. It's a bad economy. The, it was the dot-com bust back in the early 200s. Every excuse that you could possibly hear, we heard. I said, okay, I get that. Now, who's responsible? Has anybody here lost a friend to a job, has lost a job here that was a friend of yours before? Have they lost, they lost all kinds of jobs with 33% loss in revenue. Who's responsible for that? They all kind of look down at the floor and they realize, yeah, we're responsible. I said, great. We're going to take on that responsibility seriously. We have a new mission to save jobs. Our responsibility is to generate revenue, but not just generate revenue, generate profitable revenue. That profitable revenue will allow us to employ everybody, to allow us to grow and give the owner a profit while we take care of our customers. You see, I also promised them, I made a few promises to them. If you do the work, if you trust the process, if you apply the lessons in a year, you will be a better person and a more professional salesperson. And if you decide to stay, great. If you don't, that's fine too. But what I want to make sure is that we all have each other's back and we all develop together. We created a whole new culture. We created a, a culture that supported each other, that helped each other. And I knew that culture was in place when several weeks or several months after we put these new things, new structures, new compensation plans in place, when people started to step across the aisle and help each other out, it was a huge indication that we're making a difference, that no one wins unless we all win. Now, we, I looked at this organization, and I said they were failing. These were not failures. They were people that were failing. And I believe that with the right leadership, we could get through the struggle. And we did. We increased revenue by 25% by the end of the year and 20% the year after. All the revenue that they had lost in three years, we got back. And it was great to be part of a team that really enjoyed working together. But beyond the struggle, sometimes there's suffering. I mentioned my brother who lost his wife. I had a similar tragedy a few years back myself. I had just started working for Baker Roofing Company, and they were kind enough to give me a consulting opportunity and help me build my business. About 15 months into it, that personal tragedy hit me. If you can imagine, I was 25 pounds lighter than I am today. I was losing sleep. I was only sleeping three or four hours a night. And I was reminded because I was concerned about the performance and the value that I was offering to Baker Roofing Company and to Prentice Baker, that 85% of all problems that we have at work are because of things outside of work, health, family, finance, addictions, all kinds of things. In that moment, I realized that I needed to go talk to Prentice. So I walked into his office. I said, do you have a moment? And I closed the door. I explained to him what my challenges were. I said to him, I'm really concerned 
because I leave at the end of the day and I'm in such an emotional state that I'm not sure what I actually did during the day. I try to add value. I try to bring the performance that's expected of me. He stood up and walked around the desk. He gave me a hug and he simply said to me, I'm really sorry for what you've gone through. I can't imagine what it's like. Is there anything I can do to help? If there is, please just ask. I felt this weight come off my shoulder. And then he stepped back and he put his hand on my shoulder and he looked me right in the eye. And he said, Gary, I haven't seen a, a loss in, in value or a reduction in your performance. I have seen that you're a little quieter lately and maybe that's not a bad thing. But I want you to know that I'm here for you. And I want you to know that I haven't seen any reason for us to not continue down the path that we've been on. And after almost over 11 years working with them, he has been true to his word. Prentice Baker taught me that day the essence of leadership. And we originally had a definition of leadership, which was the ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together. And we stopped there. But what Prentice taught me that day was compassionate accountability. In one moment, he, he expressed a need for, to help me. And then he said, I'll keep an eye on you and make sure that you continue to add value. You know, when I look at that definition and I think about my background in the military, my father, the support I've gotten from my brothers, the IGYB, sometimes through struggle and suffering, we desperately need that compassion. And often we find it a challenge to balance the two. Prentice showed that to me. And as parents, we've heard it before. It's called tough love. The most important leadership position you have. We care so much for each other. We will not let each other fail. Changing our cultures requires intentional, diligent application of what we learned this week. Usually one person at a time. We heard from some great leaders, Commander Mike Abershoff, Admirals Paul Becker and Cindy Thabog, and former Navy fighter pilot, Kerry Lorenz. And what they taught us is a lot about leadership. And I want to challenge you to listen to each of us and pick one thing on your list of things that you can work on for the next 30 days. Just pick one thing and work on it. And then next month, pick one more thing. If you do that through the year, you will learn 11 or 12 more skills that will help you be a better person and a better leader. You see, what we need to build a culture, and I repeat all those great leaders before us this week, we need a purpose to protect, support, and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and change our mindset from me to we, a common goal that gives us a measurement of progress, and progress is the most motivating. And by demonstrating every day, WGYB, then we can help each other succeed. I can still hear my father's voice. Go help your brothers, help your mother. You're not done until we're done. Pay attention and help each other. If you do this, your culture will be W.
GYB. You know, I can't claim any great feats during my military career. When I listened to the leaders this week and I uh, saw Kerry uh, talk about landing on an aircraft carrier, wow. And, and then Mike talking about 21 fighter jets coming at him and thinking he had a 50-50 chance of living in the next couple of months. My highlights was being able to be in command at 25 years old of a, 120 soldiers and the opportunity to shake the hands of Omar Bradley, who came to El Paso, Texas when I was there, the first chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the last five-star general to survive. That's me in Fort Bliss shaking this great man's hand. And I'll never forget it. Finally, for all the soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, guardsmen, who made the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be here today. I salute you. I'm Dr. Gary, and we make good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. C-Suite Radio. My goodness, Gary, that Thank was- you. I, I, I had to rush out. Gary, I gotta tell you something. Right when you said Omar Bradley, I rushed over to my library to go find it because I have a signed copy of his autobiography and one of the greatest leads and you helped lived up to that tradition today. So thank you so much. I'll turn it over to Trish because we got so many questions coming at you. We do. And the comments are extraordinary. If you're not watching the chat, please do. It's incredible. So Gary, we have some really great questions. Um, Greg Williams, uh, one of our thought council members, he put forward a question. It says, it's a good motto in the military not to leave anyone behind, but in business, you can't save everyone. And Claudia Harvey is one of our hero club members. She said, you know, what do you do when one member is not just not quite getting it? And maybe there isn't a space for them. Maybe they don't have a role in a team. What do you do when you're in that situation? Well, when you start to consider these individual situations, obviously it gets to be complicated because when somebody says, well, they can't do the job, then the question to me is, is there something wrong with the process, the systems, the resources, the money, the other people around them? What's causing them to fail? We need to look at the root cause to that failure. And sometimes people just don't have the ability to be able to uh, provide value to the team. I will tell you that the organizations that I work with, all of them find a way when they find a good employee that has the values of the organization, I've seen them move them from position to position to position so that they can find a position that they might be able to fill and add value. So just saying somebody can't uh, do, do the job, it, just throwing them out is not the best. It's hard to find good employees. So let's make sure that we look holistically at what's going on with that individual. And I agree, the idea here in business is not to leave anyone behind. But here's the thing, if we from our heart, soul and management leadership capabilities help that person succeed, then when we do have to let them go, most of the time they realize it's time to go and we've done everything we can to help them succeed. 
and maybe help them identify where their strength is somewhere else. Uh, you know, uh, strengths identification. I think absolutely loud and clear. Yeah, uh, you know, I have another question. What do you What do you do? And this is Tina Greenbaum again, one of our thought council members. What do you do when you're getting pushback? How do you break through that pushback that you'll get from individual team members? And then Rob Olson, you know, great question. Kind of builds on that, which is, you know, in addition to the mindset, culture, mission what tactics do you specifically use and how do you get them through, you know, maybe that pushback to actionable results, you know, uh, where you can see the sales going up, where you can see the operational success of the organization based on that work. Sure. So I didn't go into a lot of the details of all the things that we did with changing compensation plans, having Monday morning meetings at 8 a.m. and creating a, a, a system and a process of discipline with people that included training and, and mandatory fun on our weekly or our, our monthly meetings and all those things. There's a lot of little details. And when you get pushback, the first thing I want people to know is people always focus on this. They push, they focus on the person that push, pushes back. Let's focus on the people that support it. Let's find our first followers. We get our first followers, our constituency of people that are willing to support where we're going and want to be successful. Those people will pull the rest of the people along. And I think I think Mike Abramash talked about this the other day when he said it's peer pressure. You know, you, you want to create a, an environment where everybody's helping each other out. And when somebody doesn't, it's the peers that say to them, get over here and help us. What the heck's wrong with you? And I actually had a scenario in my first book on uh, uh, sales leadership. I have what I call the volunteer. And to Tina's point, when you get somebody that just isn't going to come along, you just wait when you're taking over a new organization for the volunteer. Somebody's going to raise their hand and they're going to volunteer and they're going to say, please fire me, fire me, make me the martyr. And that's what he did. He came in and he said, I don't want to read the books. I don't need to do this. I'm a professional salesperson. And his results were horrible. And I said, thank you very much. I don't think you need to be part of this team. And then I went out to the team and I explained to them that this gentleman had decided to move on and go to another team. Oh, and by the way, read the book for this month because we need to keep working on our development and sales. So there's an underlying message in all of these, and it has to be part of your overall strategy. I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but it seemed to be the right thing at that time. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Gary. The delivering on the mission and the power of your you know, compassionate approach in terms of how you drive to maximum results is just resonating like crazy in the chat. Thank you so much. And now we're going to move back to Jeff and we get to meet Bob as well. So thank you, Gary. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you. C-Suite Radio. Now time to bring up our next keynote speaker. You know, we don't just have one, we have two. We've had an entire week of programming. It's just absolutely been wonderful. You know, everyone talks about becoming better leaders, but what no one tells you is what you need to do to take care of yourself in order to become a better leader. And we want to focus on that today. So what you drink, what you eat, your daily habits have everything to do with leadership. Now, I know uh, I'm, I, I talk a lot about bacon and scotch. Trust me, I've got a lot of people looking out after me. And this, this one gentleman is one of those as well. In 2019, Robert launched Elevate Your Leadership and Executive Level Leadership Experience that refreshes and energizes for the rest of their professional lives, you know, focused on leaders and their future and their lives. That's what he's all about. So Robert retired from the U.S. Navy in 2010 after 26 years of service in Navy Special Operations as a master explosive 
explosive ordnance disposal technician and an EOD officer. So to talk about the fitness of a leader, here's Bob Pazzini, CEO of iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving, which I was so hopeful to be doing that with everyone this week. We'll do it again. And EOD officer, retired U.S. Navy, Bob Pazzini. Robert, take it away. Thank you very much uh, for the introduction. And welcome to everybody from not only across the U.S., but also from around the world. Uh, the last time I checked, there were six countries represented in this, in this forum. So I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, I have, uh, as Jeff mentioned, 26 years on active duty and now 10 years in the private sector. And my active duty career was very active physically, mentally, emotionally. Things are always moving at 1,000 miles an hour. And in special operations, that's just the way it is. What I've discovered is that in business, it's very similar. And there are things that uh, I started to notice about myself that were slowing me down a little bit and that bothered me a little bit. At the same time, I was looking for leadership training for my team, and I couldn't find the leadership training that I had been exposed to throughout my career. So I developed something called the art and science of leadership. And what I'm going to share with you today, and that's not new, that, con that term is not new to anybody. But what I'm going to share with you today is what I call the science of leadership. And um, the le leadership should have a foundation, just like a skyscraper, just like a tall building. There needs to be a foundation that's deep and wide. And that foundation often goes unseen. But without that foundation, that skyscraper will topple. And I have seen leaders topple. And I know you have seen leaders topple. And I think I've been wobbly once or twice. And I have designed the science of leadership around six key components. Those components are rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health, and lifelong learning. If you pay attention to each of these on a daily basis, you're going to be a much better leader immediately over a longer duration. About two years ago, I felt a little fog. Things were slowing down, as I mentioned earlier. Fortunately, I have access to VA programs. And I went to this program called the Marcus Institute for Brain Health in Aurora, Colorado. And I learned, what I learned there in three weeks are things I wish I would have learned 25 years ago. And it was way beyond rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise. It was largely brain and heart health but it helped me tie everything else together, what my body had been telling me for my entire professional life and what my brain had been telling me. And sometimes I heard what I heard, uh, what it was saying and I understood it, but oftentimes I didn't. So after I uh, attended this facility, I tied everything together and I have these six things uh, expressed in a Venn visually. And that's because they all impact each other. So I developed something that I call the general leadership law. And the general leadership law quite simply states that rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health, and lifelong learning are so interrelated that a change in any one of those will cause a corresponding change in one or all of the others. For example, if I'm not well rested and I'm not well hydrated and, and potentially not well nourished, and I go to PT exercise in the military, we call exercise PT or physical training. I won't get the maximum benefit from that PT session. That PT session directly benefits my heart and brain health. And I'll discuss that more shortly. Why is this important? Don't worry about the eye chart here. But in, in 
uh, factors that matter most in the workplace in five countries that were looked at, the US, the UK, Great Britain, Germany, and not depicted Canada, the most important factor in the workplace is culture and values. Except in the case of Germany, where senior leadership was number one, but culture and values was number two. In all cases, culture and values ranked number one and number two as the most important factors in the workplace. And for me, it's simple. Culture and values are enabled and created by senior leadership. Senior leadership, senior leaders need to be well-rested, well-hydrated, well-nourished. They need to exercise. They need to tend to their brain and heart health, and they need to focus on lifelong learning. What do we see here? We see a tactical level insertion. We see a team of military special operators exiting an aircraft at night at 13,000 feet. It takes culture and values in the workplace for that to happen. What we don't see is the senior leadership that also enabled that. But I can tell you, having been on that jump profile many, many times throughout my career, you have to have culture and values in and amongst the team. You have to feel like you are making a contribution to the team and you have to have confidence in your senior leadership. So let's dive deep on the six components. Sleep. How much sleep do you get on a nightly basis? How much sleep should you get on a nightly basis? When you wake up, do you feel well rested? Do you wake up and have to drag yourself out of bed because you're not well rested? Well, if you're well rested, why? How did you create the conditions for that? If you're not well rested, why? What conditions did you create for that? You see on the graphic there, sleep and rest, it says sleep app, CBTI. That's a sleep app that was developed by the VA, something that was given to me or something that I was exposed to as part of my visit to the Marcus Institute for Brain Health. You can download that app and I recommend you do. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Insomnia. It'll take you 20 minutes to go through the app. You'll learn more about sleep than you ever thought there was to know about sleep. But I strongly recommend you download this app if you are sleeping well, continue to do what you're doing. If you're not sleeping well, do something about it. You know, in leadership, we say, if you can measure it, you can manage it. Anything we focus our time and attention and our financial resources on, we're going to improve, or that's at least what's important to us. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm, uh, what I have learned is that if you wanna be a much more effective leader over a much longer term, sleep is key. Sleep disturbances cause memory loss and irritability. You are more likely to make poor decisions when you're not well rested than when you are well rested. Studies have found that when leaders show up for work unrested, they have a tendency to lose patience with employees. They have a tendency to, uh, as I said, be, make, make poor decisions because they don't see the complete picture and even behave unethically. If you're not well rested, you're not on your A game. In, a, in, a, uh, in another study, in a book written by Daniel Pink called When, he talks about resting throughout the day. Now, different people have different methods to be rested, to make sure that they are well rested. But resting throughout the day in small increments is something else you can do to recharge your brain. I'm not going to try and make this tough decision if 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 things aren't clear to me. And, and I know I've done that in the past. 
I was not well rested. I just couldn't think clearly. And I made a decision when I shouldn't have made it. There's something else called halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you are under any or all of those conditions, that's not a good time to make a key decision. By the way, from a leadership perspective, your team members recognize when you are sleep deprived or otherwise not well rested. You don't wanna be the leader that the team says, don't stay away from Bob today. He's got storm clouds over his head. I can tell he didn't get a good night's sleep. As a leader, avoid making urgent or important decisions when you are not well rested. Also as a leader, recognize when your teammates are not well rested. As I go through this this discussion, I want you to think of things in what I call 5.1 surround sound, meaning everything applies to you first, but then you have to kind of have this empathetic thought process about how this applies to the rest of the members of your team. Sleep. Next is hydration. Now, again, sleep, hydration, nutrition, all these things by themselves don't sound terribly complex. But when you combine them all, you can can really elevate your leadership. Hydration. How much water do you drink on a daily basis? How much water should you drink on a daily basis? And when I say water, and I will continue to use the term water as I talk about hydration, hydration, but the American Academy for Health Sciences considers hydration to be any non-alcoholic beverage, Uh, maybe with the exception of Bud Light. You know, that's kind of hydrating in my opinion, but, but we're talking about any non-alcoholic beverage. How much water should you drink on a daily basis? I bet uh, 50% or less in this group can answer that question. How much water do you drink on a daily basis? I bet even less know the answer to that. So the answer to that is quite simple. Half of your body weight in pounds is how many ounces you should drink on a daily basis. For example, I weigh 180 pounds, which means at a minimum, I should consume 90 ounces of water per day. If I exercise and have other physical activity, it's more. Do I consume that much every day? No, and I know how much I should consume. And I have my water bottle, my 32 ounce water bottle, three of these a day is what I should consume. I have one at home and one at work. And still, it's, it's, uh, I don't achieve that every day. But I know when I'm not well hydrated. Take dehydration and combine it with lack of sleep, and you are less effective of a leader. And you are more likely to make a decision that at some point in the future, you're going you're gonna to say, what was I thinking? So two takeaways from hydration. One is drink half of your body weight in pounds. That's how many ounces you should drink on a daily basis. Number two, first thing in the morning, drink two cups or 16 ounces of water. Immediately upon awakening, it, uh, this will lubricate your spine, awaken your mind, and activate your digestive system. Think about it, when we sleep, we're fasting and we're dehydrating. 73% of our brain is water. And if we do have good restful sleep for seven to nine hours per day, we're dehydrating while we sleep. When we wake up, we're breaking the fast, breakfast, breaking the fast. You want to break the fast 
with 16 ounces of water. Once again, to lubricate the spine, to uh, awaken the mind and to activate your digestive system. Start doing this tomorrow morning. Visualize your nightstand right now with that water on it. Start doing this first thing. In one week, you will have notable differences in your morning activity. And what you're doing is setting yourself up for a much better day. As a leader, make sure you stay well hydrated, especially in a forum like this where I'm giving a presentation or you might be giving a presentation or you're making a key pitch uh, in, in a sales environment. Make sure you're well hydrated. Whenever I uh, uh, visit, make an office visit, and I'm asked if I want coffee or water, I always say yes to water. Little things like that. Make sure you're well hydrated. Nutrition. Now, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian. But I know through my own life, through my own experimentation, just like rest, just like hydration, I know when I'm not well nourished, I'm not on my A game. You get that afternoon trough. Again, back to Daniel Pink's book. He talks about peak trough and recovery throughout the day. We all wake up in this peak state, or most of us, 80% of us do anyway. We're highly energetic. We're highly analytical. We can get the difficult work done. We can keep distractions at a distance. And then sometime in early to mid-afternoon, we go into a trough state, oftentimes um, induced by uh, dietary choices. And in that trough state, it's very difficult to get the tough work done. You're staring at that same spreadsheet for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and just not making any progress. You can avoid that trough through nutrition. And here's the eye-opener. Here is something that is truly remarkable. 70% of chronic disease in America is caused by diet, which uh, another way to say that is 70% of chronic disease in America is preventable through the dietary choices we make. Now, the right food fuels the body and fuels the brain. Again, I have discovered throughout my entire adult life, over 35 years of experimentation, that when I make healthy choices uh, for, in nutrition, when I make healthy choices in my diet, I'm a more effective leader. I can see things more clearly, but here's the most important thing. I'm energetic. I can sit at my desk in two in the afternoon or whatever my work environment is, and I'm energetic and I'm alert. I'm not in that trough. Stay out of that trough. Be a good leader. Good leaders focus on being energetic throughout the day. Here's another very important thing about having your food kind of prepared and ready to go. You're going to reduce stress, you're going to save cost, uh, and you're going to save time, and your body's going to be well-nourished, brain food. Again, I am speaking from firsthand experience and experimentation. Two years ago, that fog was hitting me, and my diet was a big part of the problem. Halt, right? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Next, I'm gonna talk about exercise and neuroplasticity, and this is where I'm gonna get into some functions of the brain. Now, my good friend, Dr. Tina Greenbaum, is in our group today, and if you wanna know the science, the true science of the brain, I would say get in touch with her. She's written a great book about it and, and how you can control things. But again, I'm, going, I'm having this discussion from a user's perspective. As somebody who's exercised my entire adult life, I can hear my body talking to me when I exercise. I didn't always understand what it was saying. But here's one thing I always knew for, for certain. If I had a problem to solve, if I had some critical thinking to do, if I was facing a difficult situation, 
it always seemed that during or after exercise is when I was able to see things more clearly or come up with a solution. And scientifically, there's a reason for that. And that's called neuroplasticity. When you elevate your heart rate, neuroplasticity in your brain turns on like flipping a light switch. Neuroplasticity is the ability, the ability of the brain to grow, adapt, change, and heal. Now, when I talk about exercise, I'm not talking about being a marathon runner or a bodybuilder. Exercise is different for everybody, but doing it strengthens your brain and doing it makes you a better leader. It's simple. And if we go back to Mike and Paul and Cynthia and Carrie, and especially Cynthia and Paul who face medical challenges, I would put forth that because of their attention to diet and physical fitness, they were able to overcome some of their, uh, those very challenging medical issues that, that they faced. Exercise and neuroplasticity. <clears throat> uh, I have yoga depicted there, just talking about exercise real quick. I started doing yoga a year and a half ago. I wish I would have started doing it 25 years ago, quite honestly. Let's talk about neuroplasticity and how exactly you can control that and trigger that within your own brain. So neuroplasticity was theory up until about 1998 or 2000 when science proved that neuroplasticity is real and that you can control it. You can control it by elevating your heart rate. 60 to 85% of your age recommended maximum heart rate is how you trigger neuroplasticity. So let's do the math. Your age recommended maximum heart rate is the number 220 minus your age. Do that real quick. That's your maximum heart rate. For me, that's 166 beats per minute. 85% of that for me is 141 beats per minute. And 60% of that for me is 100 beats per minute. So if I'm in a fog, if things aren't clear, if I need to push away, take a break, rejuvenate, re-energize, I know that if I hit 100 beats per minute, I'm going to trigger neuroplasticity. My brain is going to grow, change, adapt, and heal. I know that by walking flights of stairs or by going on a brisk walk, I can hit 100 beats per minute. And then I also recommend if you have the means to really get with a trainer or uh, become much more educated on exercise and the exercises you can do. Here's another key component of exercise that I didn't care about in my 20s and I didn't care about in my 30s. And I, doctors started to tell me I should care about this in my 40s, but I didn't take, pay attention to it until after my 50th birthday. And that is your lab work, cholesterol, testosterone, all the things that really determine your health. So again, we're not talking about being a bodybuilder or being a marathon runner. We're talking about how do I feel when I'm sitting at my desk? How do others perceive me as an energetic leader? And really very important, what do my labs say? Do my labs tell me that I'm in good health? As a leader, you wanna model fitness. You wanna enable it, you wanna model it. For me, I buy gym memberships uh, and, and uh, we have great rec centers here in Virginia Beach. I get rec center memberships for anybody who wants them. I create a culture of fitness within the workplace. And I don't know if I, I, I don't think I mentioned this before, but within my organization, I have 40 employees. I have uh, 18 year olds all the way up to me at 54, the oldest and everything in between. But I enable a culture of fitness. 
and culture. And a lot of the stuff that Dr. Gary talked about, uh, it, 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 I, I was drawing the parallels because culture, when we talk about culture, it takes time for culture to develop and, and develop this momentum. And once you have that momentum, once you have that cultural momentum in your workplace, that is gold. That is something that as a leader, you have to cherish and focus on. And fitness is going to help that happen. A fit workforce is a productive workforce. Model fitness uh, uh, for yourself first and foremost, and then enable it for your team. Brain and heart health. Now, again, this is really Dr. Tina's specialty, and I'm coming to you from the user perspective. One of the things I learned about at the Marcus Institute is the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system is, consists of your sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight, or freeze, and your parasympathetic system, which they call rest and digest. Quite simply, when the tiger's chasing you, your parasympathetic takes over. And when your parasympathetic takes over, pulse rate goes up, heart rate goes up, blood pressure goes up, blink rate goes up, vision narrows. Your ability to see things around you decreases. And this happens in the workplace. This happens to leaders all the time. If somebody brings you information that's either very bad news or very good news, you're going to have that sympathetic reaction. That sympathetic reaction is actually you losing control of your thought process and, and of your ability to lead. The parasympathetic nervous system is the counter to that. Parasympathetic brings everything back in control. Your parasympathetic nervous system, also called rest and digest, reduces heart rate, reduces blink rate, reduces blood pressure, expands your peripheral vision and allows you to have greater awareness, hopefully 360 degree awareness. We often hear the term stop and breathe. But what that really means when we talk about our parasympathetic, our parasympathetic nervous system is stop and breathe, deep inhalations, deep inhalation, deep exhalations for a period of minutes. And you will literally activate your parasympathetic nervous system. You can see things more clearly or, or more importantly, your response will be appropriate for the situation. Now, sympathetic and parasympathetic they go back and forth all day. Subconsciously, your brain and your heart are communicating and that sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system are going back and forth all day long and you don't necessarily know it. After this discussion, pay attention to it, you'll recognize it. Uh, I've done it and I do it almost on a daily basis. To activate your parasympathetic, as I said, we, we breathe deeply. We deep inhalations, long exhalations, for a minute or two or three. And there are several breathing exercises uh, that can e easily be found on the web to show you how to do this. But oftentimes when you feel pressured to make a decision and your sympathetic nervous system is firing, don't make that decision. Recognize what's going on. Stop and take, that, take those breaths. Hey everybody, can I have five minutes? Or divert that important decision until a time when you are in greater control. Activating your parasympathetic allows you to take control back. The last thing I'm going to say about uh, brain and heart health and sympathetic and parasympathetic has to do with what's called heart rate variability. When my sympathetic takes over and my heart rate goes up and my pulse rate goes up and my blink rate goes up, there's a process of acceleration that happens. If it's a very smooth acceleration, 
then I have good heart rate variability. It's like stepping on a gas pedal. I can accelerate from zero to 60 smoothly, or I can just step on the gas pedal. That smooth acceleration is better on the engine of the vehicle, and it's better on the engine of your mind and your brain. That, that very harsh acceleration is taxing, and it's physically tiring and mentally exhausting. So heart rate variability is the rate at which your heart accelerates during sympathetic and decelerates during parasympathetic. And again, that's something that you can control largely through rest, hydration, nutrition, and exercise. The, that, those, that creates conditions for healthy heart rate variability. As a leader, be conscious of this. There's the heart rate variability discussion. It's an eye chart. We're not going to worry about that. And I'm going to go on to number six, which is lifelong learning. Now, depicted here uh, is me snowboarding. I learned how to snowboard at the age of 49. Uh, that learning was uh, a steep curve, to say the least. Um, I coach youth hockey. I go, to, I go to hockey coaching seminars every year. What I learn at those hockey coaching seminars have made me a better leader in my business. It's made me a better father. It's made me a better contributing member of the community that I live in. Lifelong learning, uh, the applications are limitless. Here's a big one. Talk about getting outside of your comfort zone. Last year, I learned how to ballroom dance. Now, I did this to support a charity, and this was a giant leap outside of my comfort zone. But what happened over the, over the course of this event is my comfort zone expanded. And as leaders, we always want to be expanding our comfort zone. Mark Cuban reads for three hours a day, exercises for one hour a day. Warren Buffett reads for six hours a day. I can't find anything that says he exercises. But what I did find is a statement from him that says, if you don't have a healthy diet, you better exercise a lot. And then of course, uh, General Mattis, uh, you can read his quote there on reading books. Uh, he's got, his book is called Call Sign Chaos. Um, of all his brilliant quotes in that book, the one I love the most I think is be brilliant at the basics. And then the picture in the middle, lifelong learning. I have a modest library just off to my, to my left here inside the conference room at iFly Virginia Beach. And uh, not only are those books for me, but those books are for everybody in my organization. So again, as a leader, as I, as I apply lifelong learning to myself, I really try and enable it for my team. Hey, what book are you reading? When I get up at, if I do have a trough and I'm out walking around talking to the team, uh, what book are you reading? What workout are you doing? You know, and, and just try and engage the team at that level. Uh, the last thing I will say is that when we talk lifelong learning and the things I have here, they also trigger the parasympathetic. Uh, I'm sorry. They also trigger neuroplasticity, reading new material, learning a, something new that you're unfamiliar with, whether it's physical or just learning book learning. It triggers, it triggers neuroplasticity. C-Suite Radio. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question really quickly, Absolutely. and if we can make That's sure so you're on thing. off of mute. So yeah, thank you. Okay, so I'm going to combine some questions. I've got Mark Boundy, Dennis Althar, uh, Chris Cole, Tyler Hazlett. Everybody had just absolutely phenomenal questions. I know there are more in the chat, so you're going to want to go through them, Bob. But 
um, I'm going to kind of combine them all into one. Um, in terms of self-awareness being a foundation for what you're talking about, right? So how do you monitor all of those things? What are the what are the tools and suggestions for those six items in terms of how you understand those things happening in you? Obviously, how you understand them happening in others. And then also, you know, we, a lot of us are in home offices now or leading our businesses remotely, counting on other leaders or other partners that are leading remotely. How do we not feel uh, kind of siloed and alone in, in the flight path that we're on right now? Sure. So, so to the first part of that, um, it's quite simple. If you, if you write those six things down or make a list, rest, hydration, nutrition, exercise, brain and heart health, lifelong learning. And, and then every day you have to give each one of those six things some attention. Um, uh, rest, that's easy. Uh, with or without the sleep app, sleep app pay attention to your sleep. But what, what I have found, we all have this with us uh, everywhere we go every single day. So sleep app, this is how I monitor my sleep. Hydration, I have another app on here that ha uh, works with my fitness watch. That's how I monitor my hydration, my heart rate, etc. But just figure out how you're going to give those six things attention on a daily basis and make sure that they get the attention. And it, it doesn't have to be a long, complex, um, religious process, but, but focus on the, give yourself a little bit of time throughout the day. Obviously hydration throughout the day starts in the morning, but, but set a process for yourself to where you're going to pay attention to those six things uh, throughout the day. I, I love lifting the level. And I know, Jeff, we want to be able to go out and speaking, speaking of lifting the level out to our incredible faculty members leading discussions around all of this. Bob, I know everyone's going to be randomly hoping that you're in their group today. Um, <laughs> and, and we'll continue conversations, obviously, Gary as well and, and um, the whole faculty. So back to you, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much. And Bob, I, I think I reiterate what I saw one member say, say, Bob, you just changed my life again. So you do that over and over. And I thank you very much, uh, not only for your service, I thank Gary for his service in the military as well, for all you've done there. But this was the kind of eye-opening information. I mean, for me, I will tell you, my takeaway was break the fast in the morning with water, just that alone. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't do that. And you know what? It's easy. Just grab a, a glass of water, chug it, and get another one, chug that. And man, what, what a big difference that's going to make. I know it will be, and I'm looking forward to that. That's just an easy habit I can put in place. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. Com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.